You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Nils Vold, partner at Verdane. You can't always trust the output because it's not that the AI is biased itself, but if it's trained on data that is biased, well, then the output will be biased too. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. Here we are again and Daniel, how are you today? Feeling alive. Staying alive, staying alive. Staying alive. No, I mean, it's, it's exciting times for us as well. We are, like everybody else listening to this podcast, you know, we also build something. We build a community, we run a business and, you know, Sometimes it's just nice and excited to, to feel good about yourself. And I think the way we're driving the business right now and the community, some of the progress we're making, it feels like it's all the right things at the right time. So I'm, I'm feeling alive and feeling good. Absolutely. I mean, we have done our SASIS digital event that uh, was a great success. And uh, yeah, it's amazing getting all these talented people together and sharing so much knowledge at uh, one time. And, you know, we've been building the uh, CSS community here for a couple of years. Um, started out in the Nordics and last year also the Baltics came on. And we have the same challenge. We have small internal markets with limited access to talent and capital. And we need to think internationally from the get-go. And we have also had um, a lot of traction from our neighbors in the Benelux that have a similar situation. And that is also, you know, quite far ahead when it comes to tech and uh, you know good English speakers just as us and the Danes and yeah the other here is in the Nordic so it was a natural step to also um, moving into that market and we're happy to announce if you haven't heard it yet we're doing Sassiest Amsterdam on October 25th it's going to be full day Sassiest style uh, the same vibe and a lot of great content and of course a great time in the evening with a party and a lot of chances to get to know each other yes one thing is for sure the disco helmets will be there they will for sure yes and now uh, we're gonna go into the interview and we are really excited about what we can learn about ai and how an investor thinks about this with the guest we have in this show today Today, we are very happy to have Nils Vold, partner at Verdane, here as a guest in the Sassiest podcast. So welcome, Nils. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really great to have you here. And like, I always wonder, like, how does it feel to be on the Sassiest podcast? Is this a privilege? Is it a burden? It's like, what's the feeling walking into this when you get an invite? I'm super excited about it. I'm uh, really happy that you wanted to, to have me here. So uh, it's a great feeling and uh, looking forward to our discussion uh, over the next um, uh, hours or so. Awesome. I realize I'm going to ask everybody that because it's such a leading question. Like everybody <laughs> lo- loves to be here. Hey, Nils, it's, it's, once again, it's great to have you here with us. And we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. So for people that might not know you, tell us your, your backstory briefly here and we'll take it from there. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm a partner at Verdain. Uh, I've been with Verdain for a bit more than two years. And um, I currently live in London with my family. So we moved here a year ago uh, with the kids and my wife and uh, settled down in London very well. And um, 
my background is a bit untraditional when it comes to investing. I've been, uh, I'm a computer engineer uh, from education. Uh, I was a founder uh, more than 20 years ago and actually started a cloud company already back then. So quite early with the, with the cloud and SaaS stuff. And then I built a company for uh, for five years and uh, eventually sold it to, to Visma Group, which is one of the largest software players in Europe now. And I spent 14 years in Visma and I learned a lot there and had an incredible journey. And then I really wanted to spend my time working with investments and uh, uh, especially then in uh, software companies uh, on the SaaS side. Very cool. And I have to ask... Uh, when you were a founder and, and prior to selling your entire business to Visma, did you go through the, the traditional VC route? Like you raised capital, uh, you raised a couple of rounds and so on, or how did you run that business? We got an uh, uh, angel investor uh, quite early. And uh, as we were young, we, we also had really tight cost control, uh, but we managed to generate uh, revenues uh, early in those days. And uh, we're sort of self-funded uh, besides the angel investment. Um, so we built the company and we used the SaaS model to do that. Mm. It was a bit uh, radical uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, trying to create uh, recurring revenues. Which then, of course, uh, enables you to get some, some cash flow too. So combination of uh, hard work, uh, strong discipline, and, and actually, luckily enough, uh, being able to... Uh, to deliver good products to customers, we we got growth from day one. Cool, and and you mentioned that you were partner at Verdane. What does it mean to be a partner? Well, Verdane is uh, is uh, owned by the partners, and uh, we uh, all the partners are responsible for uh, for how the company is performing and, and sort of what investments we do and, and the investments we do, how they perform, and how we develop our uh, our companies. And uh, make sure that we sort of always uh, continue to develop ourselves and uh, not stay fat and happy, uh, which of course can be a, be a bit of an issue for, for some companies. Um, and uh, I think Wedane is on a really, really strong uh, track now. Uh, we just announced our latest fund uh, yesterday, uh, 1.1 billion. Euros. Were you out of money, or why did you <laughs> raise the new fund? No, because we uh, we have uh, been lucky enough to to invest um, the other funds. Uh, so uh, we uh, we sort of see so many opportunities in the market. Uh, there is a lot of companies that uh, that still need a partner and funding, and uh, so basically that's the reason why we we raised this fund, which. Uh, was done at hard cap uh, in a sort of bit tough market this day, but um, uh, we are lucky to have some really really good uh, customers and investors that believe in believe in us and what we do and, and the value creation we do. So that was my next question: Who wants to give you one point one billion, or how much was it? It was one point one, and uh, the investors that did that uh, are large uh, institutional investors, um, and uh, most of them are actually our uh, has been with us for a quite long time, which I think is also a sign of trust that they they give us uh, the mandate to continue to do what we do, um, and uh, we are never better than uh, sort of our latest performance. So uh, even though we have a strong track record for the last twenty years, they still believe in what we do and, and trust us to, uh, to sort of uh, manage um, their funds. So very happy with that. And uh, we think there is, even though the sort of macro situation these days is a bit challenging with, uh, with war and inflation and all that things going on, there is still a lot of strong performing software companies out there. Yeah. So what kind of companies do you invest in? 
We, uh, we invest in companies that sort of are tech-enabled by heart and are in the growth phase. Um, so there are basically two things we invest behind. That's digitalization. So software companies, SaaS companies, and it's decarbonization because we also believe that sustainability is a key criteria to, to make a better world. So uh, those are the two topics behind it. And um, we typically, on the SaaS side, invest in companies that sort of maybe are coming to around 10 million euros in, in revenue and upwards. And uh, we partner with them. I think we have done close to 100 software investments over the last 20 years and uh, help them to, to reach their ambitions and, and get their technology and products uh, out in the market. Whether that's by fueling sort of more, more growth to investments in the value chain, more R&D and new products or go to market or expansion to new geographies or doing M&A. Yeah. And, and uh, when we're looking at SaaS companies, is there a particular like type of SaaS businesses that you look at because there's a lot of them that that you know get by this 10 million but do you look for we're specialists in these types of fields in SaaS companies or you're all eaters we, we, we try to specialize because we believe in specialization and we believe also in companies that sort of provides mission critical software for the end user mm -hmm. so we invest behind four uh, specific thematics on the on the south side that's uh, healthcare tech uh, it's IoT and infrastructure it is customer engagement, and it's what we call operations, which is sort of everything that all companies need on their back office side. And uh, we like to look at companies that sort of have a really clear path to what they deliver to the customer and uh, are in a growing market. Uh, then we always say that these companies need to pass what we call a 2040 test. Does this company provide something good for the um, uh, future uh, and is there a market there in uh, 2040 and if you look on the last years especially to covid there was a lot of inflated growth that sort of declined because it was not a structural growth trend right wow 2040 that is really time horizon and we're gonna go into a topic and who knows are we still there in 2040 or has uh, <laughs> this topic affected our world so much so we are not here anymore that's very very morbid thomas but it's <laughs> i i agree here like from an investor perspective it is a long-term commitment to look you know obviously 15 16 17 years ahead in time i don't know is that normal it, it doesn't always feel like that's the normal timeline that maybe traditional investors look at? Well, I think, first of all, the sort of mandate we have and the trust we have from our investors is long-term value creation for them too. So we need to, to think long-term here. We want to build sustainable companies. And, and of course, if you look at the 20-year horizon, things will, of course, change. But it's about trying to find um, companies that provide products and services that sort of customers also need in the future. So we are long-term committed to the companies we invest in. Uh, we have been investing in companies uh, for more than 10 years, for instance, and uh, we'd like to be a long-term partner and sort of not chase the short-term EBITDA and, and exit after a couple of years, but sort of create long-term uh, value for uh, for all stakeholders yeah awesome absolutely and uh, we're gonna go on uh, and closing in on the main topic today and um yeah we don't need to spell it out uh, exactly what it's gonna be but uh, you know it's about the changes that happens in the tech world and 
there is a change going on now for sure, but there has also been other tech disruptions during the years. So, I mean, what is it? What has happened throughout the years for tech companies that has been, you know, substantial changes? Well, I think the, the, the tech industry, the IT industry, uh, is, is quite young, actually. Uh, let's say that it really started like uh, 60 years ago or so uh, with this mainframe machines that was sort of only for large corporations and uh, doing bulk processing and those kind of things. And the next big revolution came with, uh, with the PC era in the 80s when everybody got their own computer and things started to become digitalized. Good times. <laughs> Good times, exactly. Uh, and then um, we have the, the age we're in now that uh, is cloud computing. Uh, that's actually just a technology that's 10, 15 years old. Now we just call it SaaS mainly, but... Um, all these three disruptions have, uh, have created tons of new opportunities. Uh, it's also made a lot of successful companies not managing to do the transitions. And some are sort of pure born in the cloud. And I guess most of the companies that, that uh, attend SaaS, they are, of course, uh, born in the cloud. Right. But uh, others have made these transitions. And um, what happens is not, it's not only the IT industry that gets disrupted by this. It's sort of all industries because uh, no matter what sector or market or segment uh, companies are operating in, they are heavily embedded with, uh, with IT technology to, to produce their products or services and uh, sort of run their value chains. Yeah. And uh, I, Thomas, I think that was the worst masked uh, what, what we're going to speak about <laughs> exercise ever. So we're going to talk about a little bit today about what you consider to be potentially the fourth major disruptor here, like, and obviously that's, that's AI. And I think what's interesting from our perspective, or at least from my perspective, is like AI has been around for quite some time, but suddenly there's this huge hype now. It's like we had a gentleman in one of the other conversations that said like, AI short-term is overhyped, long-term it's underestimated. What's what's your take on this now that we have this hype? Like like, what do you think about this entire AI push that's coming our way? I think this uh, this person was absolutely right. Uh, overhyped is a good good word to to put it. Uh, at least the last year, uh, but underestimated uh, definitely. So, in all these tech disruptions that's been going on, it's it's hard to really spot if it will be a disruption or not. Some of these things we believe that will really impact the market just fades away and never make it. But uh, AI is actually as old as the IT industry itself. And the first AI stuff began in, uh, in the 1950s, uh, but still very much on sort of a research um, stage and academia interest. And I think we've seen maybe the last 10 years that it's moved from being sort of tech uh, inventions to be more commercialized. And that pace has really picked up over the last years. Uh, today, uh, it's obvious that uh, AI will impact uh, all industries, all IT companies, all SaaS companies in some way or the other. It's very easy to conclude on this question if you didn't have another podcast in, in five years, whether it's actually disrupted everything or not. But uh, from what we know now, everything points in the direction that it will, this will be a major, major disruption for, for sort of all industries, not only SaaS companies. Right. And um, I mean, also now when, when you look at companies to invest in, is AI a, a very 
big component when you're looking for new companies? Yeah, we are we are a bit uh, concerned about sort of AI impact when we do new investments, and uh, we can basically to, to simplify a little bit uh, talk about AI from two perspectives. How does it affect the end market? Will it sort of disrupt uh, existing growth or will it fuel growth? Um, and that's an assessment that's a bit harder to to conclude on, uh, but it's important to sort of assess how AI can potentially impact the end market. But the other part of AI is just uh, thinking about pure efficiency gains and sort of how you can run your company more efficient. Uh, and that comes as particularly interesting for, for SaaS companies. And there are tons of use cases that uh, already shows quite strong uh, improvements in, in, uh, uh, in the value chains. Right. And I mean, it's interesting you mentioned how SaaS companies can be more efficient than productive. But uh, what about yourself? Do you use AI to be more efficient? Yeah. And what do you use? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, well, just to, before I answer that. Uh, yeah, before you answer that, I have another question. Because you sent us some great talking points here. Is that your own talking points or is that like... ChatGPT. <laughs> Good question. That's uh, <laughs> that's my own talking point, actually. Um, okay. Okay. But uh, okay. So let's rewind a bit here. Uh, if you think about it, uh, all of us use AI hundreds of times every day, but you don't just don't give it too much attention. Every time you unlock your smartphone, for instance, it's an ML algorithm that uh, uses facial recognition. Every time you do a Google search, you activate tons of different uh, machine learning algorithms to, to predict what you're writing and to do the actual search, which is a quite complex technical challenge. Every time you use a GPS, for instance, you use at least 10 different algorithms, one for route optimization, route planning, queue prediction, and all these kind of things. So it's not like GPT is the most hyped and well, well-known uh, AI today. Uh, but it's just one out of very many uh, use areas. Yeah, but isn't it a different in between algorithms and machine learning and sort of AI or generative AI? Or how do you see on that? I think the simple definition of it is that AI is a over-embracing over, over sort of definition of all these technologies. And uh, below it, you have machine learning and deep learning, neural networks and GPT and image creation and, and tons of different things. Uh, and GPT is just one of those uh, under the AI umbrella. So I'm curious a little bit to hear from your perspective because it's a big and hot potato, this AI topic. And next week I'm hosting a CEO session where we're actually going to talk about you know, the AI, how that affects their businesses. And we're going to look at it from two perspectives. Like you know, how should they think about AI and building that into their own offerings? And how should they think about AI to be more of an efficient organization? Like when you go out and, and meet your portfolio companies and so on, like what is the discussion that takes place there? Because one of the stories we see is that everybody tries to play a little bit with ChatGPT. They buy an AI tool that summarizes a text or writes a transcript or whatever it is. But there's no overarching AI corporate strategy. It's individuals trying something. Like, what is your take on this? Well, I think you're right. And I think uh, if you think about this AI stuff sort of as a major disruption, and we think about it also, then that is much more than just uh, generative uh, AI. Uh, you should you should probably look at this from two angles. The, the end market, how will that actually be affected? If your products or services can sort of be 
replaced by by sort of simple AI stuff instead, your market is probably gone, uh, and or at least the the growth rate you are expecting is declining. And uh, there are different frameworks to to look at uh, on those kind of things, but trying to sort of assess whether there is a risk for the end market being disrupted by AI, because then you have a big issue, right? Um, but uh, it's still still early days, so it's a bit of sort of trying to learn, fail, and, and assess uh, those kind of situations. Um, but there are some really simple things to do as a CO2 that's sort of to improve your own organization on this. And uh, we can, for instance, talk a little bit about uh, product development or uh, software coding. Uh-huh. Uh, that's quite mature use case. And there are tons of these co-pilots that can help uh, developers to, to code faster. And sort of just read a report that said that sort of early indications of efficiency gains there is 50%, which means that one developer can do the work uh, almost for two uh, if you implement these co-developers things. You can use it to cross the R&D departments to to not only do the coding, but testing and optimizing your networks and your, your sort of infrastructure. And there are other use cases too that's quite interesting around sales, for instance. Uh, how can you automate a lot of your sales, generate leads, make sure that you are more qualified in your, in your conversion funnel, um, you can use GPT to generate your marketing material, for instance, and just fine-tune it uh, yourself. Uh, not all of these GPTs are sort of strong enough to create uh, super good text, so, so you should probably spend some time on it. Um, you can create images. Uh, right now, there is a sort of big issue that AI is, is unregulated, uh, but uh, the image you create by AI is no one's copyright, right? So... So you can create whatever you need, and and uh, and it's yours. Yeah, I, I actually have two questions uh, based on what you said here in the beginning with the the co-pilot exercise. I agree that that's probably one of the most clear and mature cases. Uh, what's your view when you speak to your 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 companies out there? Like, I think one fear is about you use co-pilot, and then becomes a dilemma as to who actually owns the IP. Like, is that not an issue? Is that nothing you, you guys feel worried about? Like, if I have a machine that helped me write the code and who knows where that influence came from, is it really my code? It's a very good and, and relevant question because uh, there are a few issues that sort of unresolved when it comes to this AI stuff. And everything that's sort of created by, by a co-pilot is based on someone else's work, right? Because they are trained on, on, on the data sets uh, and who owns that data set. Yeah. Um, so definitely it could be an issue, uh, but on the other hand, a lot of these training co-pilots are based on open source code uh, and code that you can find, for instance, on, on GitHub and things like that. Uh, so I think maybe we will face some big uh, challenges that needs to be solved over the over the coming years. That's sort of the copyright issue. Yeah, who owns the data they're trained on? Um, it's privacy, uh, who has actually access to this data and, and what can it be used for and uh, think about all the data you leave on, uh, on a social media, uh, AI, for instance. Uh, that is also a bit scary, sort of, they know so much about you, uh, but who should actually have access to that, uh, that data? And um, the third sort of 
bit of a risk factor and, and sort of unregulated thing is sort of what do you actually use this AI for? Is it for good purposes or is it for bad purposes? Yeah. And I think one of the big issues right now is that the, the governments around the world has been a bit slow to, to respond to this, these things. So at the moment, it's actually the big text that decides uh, on copyright privacy and, and how to use it um, and not the governments. But uh, EU is coming out with their uh, new regulation called the, the EU AI Act, where they try to, to tackle these issues. And whether you like EU or not, uh, they have done a lot of good things too, like GDPR, for instance. I doubt uh, anyone is uh, in disfavor of having uh, more uh, more regulation around how things are used. So we'll see what they come with. But you're absolutely right. There are, there are concerns around the copyright and privacy and, and how to use this AI. Yeah, but we can always trust the Germans, right? That uh, will keep <laughs> things in order. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, that's our biggest hope, right? Yeah. There, there you go. Hey, uh Another thing that I've been thinking about is how, if we stick to the AI and the co-pilot exercise, how maybe the introduction of co-pilots will either, depending on which angle you look at from, create an imbalance or a balance. Because I'm thinking prior there was a team with 300 engineers. They could spit out a lot more than a company that had only 30 engineers. That was a competitive advantage to have a much bigger engineering team. But maybe now with the introduction of co-pilots, that team of 30 engineers could make that gap smaller. So suddenly having a huge, massive engineering team is maybe no longer a competitive edge no more. Or you don't need to do nearshoring or offshoring, or maybe you do need to do even more of that because your like, talent that you have at home are not as skilled like for instance a team that might sit you know somewhere else in the world yeah well i think about this whole things about competitive advantage and uh, and uh, sort of job creations in in general uh, i think that's a bit overhyped if you think about an engineering team and if you are 300 engineers uh, very often there is a disproportion of uh, of UX, for instance, versus coders. Uh, maybe you can save up some resources for the actual coding using Copilot and put more resources on UX and customer experience and uh, sort of design uh, instead. Uh, one use case or sort of one disruptive thing that has been talking a lot about is that GPT will replace journalists, for instance. But somebody got to be out there and, and report uh, and that will not be an AI. So I don't think we should fear too much about sort of uh, jobs moving away. But uh, as with all these other tech disruptions we talked about, it's just moving up in the sort of uh, complexity in the hierarchy and spend more time on sort of high level value creation and work, whether it's on the marketing side or sales side or, or uh, developers. Yeah. And another thing here also with issues, I mean, the the AI can can do so much and analyze data and all of this business data and so on. But do we dare to send in our data into this AI? Uh, where will it end up? Can others access my data and so on? Do you have any any input on that? And uh, I guess you are in that situation as well at Verdane if you want to do something like that. We we use. Uh GPT, uh, what we call Verdain GPT, uh, that's locally installed in uh, in Verdain servers. So the, everything we put in there of sort of 
more sensitive information will remain in Bedain's uh, IT infrastructure. Okay, so you have your own GPT, so basically that you install on a server. Of course, and, and so should you have, actually. Yeah, we should have access to yours. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I will not give you access to that one, but um, but the point is basically that when we when we see this sort of interesting things, it's a lot hyped, and no one really knows uh, how it will develop. I think what's the most important thing you can do is actually just to start to use it and, and learn about it and try it and see the limitations and the opportunities about it. How do you know that the Verdain GPT isn't communicating with some other GPT somewhere else? Well, I guess you could say that about all the software we have, right? So if uh, if someone wanted to to break in, um, then then it's most uh, as likely as uh, as uh, all other software we use. It's nothing particular about uh, about the AI there. Um, okay. So you, you need to make sure that you, you choose a trustworthy provider um, of these kind of services. But that, that goes for all kinds of software, right? Yeah. Is, is that a very hard thing to do? I mean, install your own GPT? <laughs> Thomas, what are you getting at? I want the SASIS GPT here. <laughs> we have a team that does that, so, so I'm not doing it. But, uh, but the thing about this AI stuff is, uh, is sort of super expensive and complex to develop yeah. uh, the algorithms, uh, but it's quite cheap uh, to implement it and use it. Okay. Uh, it doesn't cost that much, and uh, a lot of them are open sourced. And uh, also on the trust ca- uh, thing you mentioned, uh, a lot of this is actually controlled by the by the big tech companies. So if you use uh, Microsoft Azure, why shouldn't you trust their their GPT engine on the same way that you just uh, to have your data on Azure or use Microsoft Office for that matter. Yeah, and you that monitor this field quite a lot, do you have, what do you say about the different initiatives from, from various uh, tech companies like Google or OpenAI or Amazon or Facebook and so on? What, what are the most promising ones or the most interesting ones for different use cases? Well, I think the, 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 a lot of this stuff is quite similar um, between all the vendors, and most of them are based on sort of the main same algorithms, uh, just used for different use cases. Uh, so, for instance, Microsoft uh, is backing uh, OpenAI and has a big investment there, yeah. and that's uh, technology is quite quite available uh, for enterprises to use too, and for all the SaaS companies that uh, listening to this uh, this podcast. Um, on my personal note, uh, I'm not that fan of uh, social media anymore. After they <laughs> after they start to implement all these AI things and and can use that in a way in, in a way, it's not that I don't trust the AI. It's just more that they know so much about you, and as these algorithms get uh, better and better, they can predict quite a lot about uh, about your state of mind and uh, your sort of uh, privacy is uh, is quite uh, broken by that. I think. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. What are you most scared of when it comes to the uh, development of AI? I mean, you have the 2040 horizon here, so um, 
Yeah, looking looking forward. I, I can start to say what I'm not scared about, uh, and uh, there are some limitations to today's AI. They are single-purpose uh, solutions. Uh, either they generate text, or like Tesla, they have a self-driving car, but that one cannot generate text. And you have image generators, you have chess players, all that kind of thing. So they are limited by the use case they are developed for, and they're also limited by their data they're trained on. If they haven't been trained on any data, uh, they can't answer questions, right? But is the sort of holy grail for AI development is what's known as AGI, or Artificial General Intelligence. We don't have that yet, but uh, if you get there, you will get self-conscious AIs. And then you start to get into some really difficult questions. What if they are in conflict with, uh, with humans, for instance? But the point is, we are we are not there. We don't have that technology at the moment. I doubt we have it by 2040, but uh, that's very hard predictions to do. But I, I'm not scared about sort of machines taking over and uh, and uh, all these kind of uh, scary things you can read about in the newspaper. Mm. Uh, I'm more concerned about the things we always already talked about that if the end market is disrupted by this and and suddenly you don't have a customers to sell to anymore because uh, someone has innovated around this AI stuff and kind of wiped out the market. That, that is one thing. And the other one is companies that are not able to, to take advantage of AI in their own value chain and be more efficient will, of course, be outcompeted by companies that are more innovative and embrace this uh, AI technology. Yeah. And I, and I guess in society, it's more about, you know, disinformation and, you know, can we trust what we see and hear and and read and so on? So I mean that could impact a lot, I guess. Absolutely, and uh, and there has been a lot of uh, cases around it. Uh, if you remember the Cambridge Analytica thing, for instance, that was uh, AI influencing people uh, to to vote differently than they normally would, right? So uh, that's a that's a typical example of bad use of AI. Mm. And that's why I think it's so important that we get these regulations in place. And luckily, there's a lot of things going on there. Um, and uh, But there is not, you can't always trust the output uh, because it's not that the AI is biased itself, but it's, if it's trained on data that, that is biased, well, then the output will be biased too. And uh, Google... Uh, lost quite a large amount of its valuation when they lo- launched their AI that didn't work properly and gave wrong answers. Uh, so you lose the trust, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's a very interesting conversation. And, and for a non-tech guy like myself, even I have spent you know quite some time thinking about that now that I got my hands dirty with some of these solutions. And I have two statements that I would like you to react or or respond to so as a user i felt like okay there's so many platforms out there now that make it fairly useful and fairly accurate in terms of the outcome when i ask the tool the platform to do something via a prompt it doesn't ask me i don't have to click somewhere or move things or do anything so i've been thinking like will software or ux be changed forever why would i do a bunch of stuff and clicks and move things and so on when i can just write the prompt and ask the solution to do for me so i think i guess the statement here is that ux will be changed forever and everybody will go towards a prompt based interface is that true 
That's an interesting reflection. Uh, I mean, UX has changed quite a lot uh, over the last years too, uh, with the digital voice assistants, for instance. Uh, and uh, more than 50% of Google search are done through voice prompts for the younger generation. Uh, so it's not like everybody's uh, typing in prompts either. So that will be multiple interfaces to interact with software is for sure true. I still think for more complex stuff, it will be hard to be uh, only use prompts. You need a strong, proper user interface with a lot of tables and uh, different data to put in. So probably varies a lot about sort of what kind of application are we really talking about. Yeah. And I have another question or another statement. I also feel that with the introduction of some of these tools where you feel there's instant gratification, you write a prompt, you get something back, and we see a lot of these B2C type of solutions. They charge per usage, per words that are spit out or, or minutes that are transcribed or whatever it is. I'm wondering if this will be the driver that will force software companies to move towards usage-based pricing because we will get used to it. Is AI the driver that will actually make uh, usage-based pricing stick? I think... Uh we already seen that shift a little bit away from pure recurring uh, revenue models, regardless of AI. Uh, a lot of the companies we we are invested in and and, uh, and are looking at use a combination of uh, recurring revenues and sort of more uh, transactional re- reoccurring revenues. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe AI will change that a little bit, but I think anyway, it's more about adapting the right pricing model to the end user and what sort of value do you bring for it and what does the customer really pay for then then ai itself will necessarily draw that change okay fair points and what impact do you see that ai can have on SaaS company and what use cases would you see for different you know areas or departments or so using ai there's a lot of uh, cool stuff that uh, that it can impact on, and uh, a lot of this generation and generative uh, AI can be used to to generate uh, marketing material, for instance, and save you a lot of time on that. But if you use it a bit more advanced with the with the sort of customer interface, uh, you you probably tried all these dumb chatbots that doesn't understand what you're really asking for. But if you implement a proper chatbot that's sort of true AI driven by GPT or something like that you can give a much better uh, customer experience and, uh, and help your customers to, to, to use your products. Another thing is uh, churn prediction, for instance. If you gather all the data you have from the usage uh, history, how many modules uh, customers are using, how often they're using it, how they're using it, and you combine that with, for instance, uh, data from your CS department, you can create algorithms that sort of start to predict when customers are churning. And uh, one of our uh, companies we have invested in has developed that uh, themselves. They have an 80% accuracy rate at the moment. Uh, and they sort of target different uh, parts of these uh, customers. And uh, for some customers, it's sort of too late to do anything. But for others, they can sort of get a pre-warning that uh, you need to contact this customer, you need to train them more, or you need to develop more features uh, in your software. So I think increasing that feedback loop with your customers when you develop new products, for instance, by using uh, machine learning is, uh, is a very good use case. But other areas of the company, is there something within HR that 
this could be used for, for instance? Definitely. And uh, on the Azure side, uh, for instance, creating all your ads uh, when you want to hire people, uh, that could be made simply by a GPT bot and you just fine-tune the text yourself. You could uh, say that you have a lot of applications. You could review the applications automatically and get a summary and, uh, and see how well fit it is with, uh, with the job description. Um, you could also do things like bias checks in, in, your, uh, in your ads to make sure that you sort of uh, don't have biases there. And another thing on HR, which I think is my advice to, to sales companies, unless they have an AI strategy, is actually to hire someone that knows and understands what this technology can do um, and uh, make sure that they, they sort of have an evangelist uh, around this that can sort of implement things across the value chain. Okay, but there is a lot of self-proclaimed AI experts out there. So how do you sort of navigate that jungle and find a person that really can help you out and not just invoices tons of money? Yeah, that's a very fair question. Uh, and it's a young field, so I don't know how many experts you really can find on this. Uh, but it's like all other disciplines. Uh, you didn't have cloud experts when cloud came either. So somebody got to really read up on it. There is tons of good information out there. You can go to conferences and, and take courses and listen to podcasts and, and do all kinds of things. I think the most important thing is to sort of understand the opportunity set and the limitations of AI and make sure that you have a clear AI strategy in the company. Hmm. And as we talked about a few times now, uh, one is sort of how will, how will this affect your end market and the market opportunity set? But... The easy win with AI is to implement it uh, internally organization. And uh, some of our companies, for instance, um, have started to use this for, for uh, code development. That is uh, sort of just obvious. You don't need an AI evangelist to, to start on that one. Mm. Some are using it for their marketing material. You don't really need an AI evangelist for that either. And some are using it for the HR processes. But for your CEO uh, summit, Daniel, maybe you should uh, advise people to at least get an AI strategy uh, on top of the management agenda. So for companies that sort of haven't started to look at this at all, well, then you should uh, probably try to, to find someone that can uh, that can uh, start to work on this in the, in the company, whether it's an external hire or, or someone internally that really has an interest and knowledge about the space. Yeah, the only thing I heard was listen more to podcasts. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's where you learn, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this has been really interesting and this is definitely a topic that we'll, we will revisit many, many times. We have the pleasure of having one of your colleague Henrik joining the uh, SASIS Digital event here in just a few weeks, uh, your CTO, and looking really forward to that. But... Moving forward here in the episode, we usually ask our guest, what is the future for your company? So what do you have in the crystal ball for uh, Verdane? Yeah, in general, uh, as we start to talk about, we, we just raised a new fund. Uh, we see a lot of opportunities. There was a lot of strong uh, SaaS companies out there that we would love to partner with. And uh, even though the macro is a bit challenging to read these days there is a lot of companies performing very well and uh, the need for software is not declining uh, on the other hand it's actually increasing uh, so so we look uh, quite optimistic on the future for for Berlin as a SaaS investor and also for SaaS companies that um, that are able to adapt and, and uh, take on this AI stuff mm. 
For Vedena in particular, uh, we have started to use AI internally. Uh, the most important thing for us is sort of how can we improve our own processes uh, using AI and be even more efficient. But maybe more importantly is how can we help our com- companies to navigate uh, through this AI a- wave that we're going through. Okay. So, I mean, we, um, we have a fantastic community listening in on these podcasts. And um, if you get the opportunity now to make a shout out, what do you wish for? Is there anything the community can help you with? Come with some cool use cases and uh, reach out if you if you want to uh, discuss this topic uh, with an investor, and I'm happy to to spend time on that. Yeah, and how do you get hold of you then if you have a great use case? You can find me on LinkedIn. Okay, and you will accept any request or <laughs> I really like to 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 learn. So speaking to as much people as I can is uh, is a way to to keep learning. Right, there is new perspectives and fresh ideas and uh, and building relations. So. That's the way I think about it. Yeah. Cool. And speaking of, of learning, you know, this show is all about learning. And I've certainly learned a, a lot of stuff today here. Who would you be excited to see on the show here that would make you like, ooh, I'm tuning into that episode. Who would you like to see here? I would actually recommend uh, one of the CTOs in one of our companies. Uh, his name is Jim Allen. And uh, he's working with a ton of cool AI use cases from everything in the in the company he's working in, from lead generation to marketing to churn prediction to co-piloting, and he can be much more specific uh, on how SaaS companies can adopt this AI stuff. So I will shout out for him, and uh, I will send you his contact info, and you can see if he is happy to do it. And what company did he work for? He works for a company that calls Meister, which is a SMB SaaS company we invested in a couple of years ago. And they are really, really strong on the sort of technology-driven uh, on, the, on the technology side, and has taken on uh, a lot of uh, cool use cases and, and initiatives on AI. Okay, great, exciting. All right, and with that, Nils, we thank you so much for being a guest at the Sassiest Podcast, and uh, we wish you a good weekend and uh, see you around. And thank you so much for being here. It's been uh, very interesting uh, talking to you guys. Have a great weekend. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right, Daniel. So what are your takeaways from this episode? Wow, that's a good question. This is uh, probably one of the few times I almost feel like you should go first because I need to collect my thoughts. Why don't you go first? Because I probably need to collect my thoughts a little bit here. Yeah, my takeaway is that we definitely need to have the sassiest GPT uh, (laughs) somewhere, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know if you're out there and you know how to do this, maybe you should reach out and help us set up the sassiest GPT and see what we can do with it. But uh, in other things, I think, you know, it is interesting to uh, to see how many areas of the company that can be affected or where you can use this for your internal efficiency or you can use it when, when sort of you, with your offerings, it could be anything from customer service to you know how you deliver your product. But I mean, it seems like just implementing this on, on the HR side is a no brainer. I mean, there's so much work that can be saved and um, yeah, there, it seems like- Do it, yeah. Do it. I mean, I, I 100% agree, and one of the things I uh, I felt in this episode, like there's so much happening, there's no way stopping this, there's no reason for people to try to stop this. This is this is going to be good for, for businesses, and some businesses will, of course, come out on top. Uh, 
But Nils said something that we are starting to hear now for more and more people. In order to figure this out and to get it right, you need to have an AI owner, somebody that owns the initiative internally. Whomever he or she is, there needs to be a dedicated AI team or a pod that somehow coordinates and makes sure that this is linked to, to the greater good of the business. So I don't know who's going to own that role. I don't know what titles they're going to have. I don't know who they're going to report to. But I, for me, that's one of the most interesting aspects as this progresses. Like, you know, how are people going to implement this? Is it going to be a new C-level role? Suddenly, are we going to have chief AI officer in every SaaS company? I don't know. Maybe. Shy officer. Shy officer. There you go. No, but uh, yeah, and it might be you. I don't mean you, Daniel. Maybe maybe you that are listening to the show here. It might be a role that you would like to take on. So uh, there's a lot of opportunity here. And if I were younger, I might have jumped on, on this wagon 100%. But now, sitting here, running community with you, Daniel, that's uh, my fate. What do you mean? Like, we're 28. <laughs> we're 28. 28 is no age. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, ma- many of our listeners probably think that we are, you know, in our late 20s. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have been 28 for the past uh, 12, 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, an interesting uh, future for sure. Uh, also an interesting future for the Sassiest community. We mentioned some initiatives here before. We have Sassiest Amsterdam coming up. If you're interested, Head over to sassiestamsterdam.com and that you get your tickets today. They are super well priced, so uh, anyone should be able to go. Um, besides that, we have some meetups coming up. We have meetups in Copenhagen and in Stockholm, where we gather the Sassiest community. And uh, we have Sassiest Jobs Day also in December, where uh, if you're looking for talent, uh, that's a place where you can present your company. And also if you are looking for a new job, you should definitely head over there and um, talk to some of the fantastic SaaS companies we have in the community. Yes. And last year we did this. There were over 500 candidates meeting 30-ish something SaaS companies. Yeah, we have 30 companies that got 10 minutes each to present themselves. So, yeah, cool day. And and we know that there were, after the fact, there were a lot of placements. So a lot of relationships were born there and a lot of matches were, were executed a few few months later. So that, that was really cool to see. And if we can help you know people find talent or people find their next gig, we're happy to do so. So don't forget. And uh, if you have any ideas on perhaps future topics or guests here on the show or other things regarding the Sassiest community, you can always reach out on contact at sassiest.com or you can find us on LinkedIn. Or if you are one of the lucky ones that are in the Sassiest Slack community, then you can ping us there as well. So we are always available, I would say. Uh, And with that, thank you for listening today and uh, see you next time. Take care.